Today we're excited to have Herman Sintem. Herman is a professor of chemistry here at Purdue University. So welcome. We we start we um, we'll start. Sorry, I'm flipping over my words here. <laughs> um, we saw a really awesome post that you have recently been awarded um, a grant to further or to prepare a drug that you're that you're developing to go towards clinical trials. Is that did I say that correctly? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's well. First of all, congratulations, and Thanks. secondly, can you tell us about what what type of drug is this, and just a little bit about the process of getting a drug to go to what clinical trials mean, and and what's involved? Okay, so we have developed a potential drug for an aggressive form of leukemia called acute myeloid leukemia. So, leukemia is a blood cancer. There are different types of blood cancers, uh, but acute myeloid leukemia is one of the most aggressive types. Um, there are drugs that have been approved by the FDA, uh, but unfortunately patients relapse when they take those drugs. And so we've come up with um, a new chemical entity that uh, has shown really amazing efficacy in an animal model. Uh, so, um, during drug development, usually medicinal chemists would make a compound, test the compound in an animal disease model to see if that compound works, and compare that to current, current drugs, okay? So, so far, our drugs, uh, or our lead drug, has shown um, really amazing efficacy in an animal model. And so the next question is, will they work in humans? And so what this grant is going to facilitate is to allow us to do some uh, extra experiments that would that would guide us um, to select the right dose to use in humans. And so you ask what is a clinical trial? A clinical trial is basically um, a series of trials where a new drug entity uh, is first given to patients um, to test for efficacy. So what we mean by efficacy is that does it work? Um, okay. So it starts, it first starts with a smaller patient population. And then if it shows some hint of working, then you increase the number of patients until you, so there is a phase one, and then you move to phase two, and then a phase three is actually using a, a larger patient population. And then at the end, statisticians would then be able to then look at the data and uh, see whether the data is indicating that a drug actually works, right? Before the FDA then gives an approval for the drug to uh, be given to the larger patient population. Wow, yeah, um, that's a, I mean, wow. We, we're always excited to hear about the new discoveries and things you're making, but I mean, holy cow, you're, you're curing cancer, literally. I mean, it's, it's, wow, that's kind of breathtaking. Now it impacts so many people. And so that's such an amazing thing. How do you, when you're developing, so it's, you're, you're in chemistry department. And so what is like the process of how in the world do you go about curing cancer or finding, finding something that, that helps with, with cancer? How, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. What so, are the processes that you had to get to where you are today, I guess, is my question. Exactly. I'm sorry, yeah. I was kind of blown away from like, holy moly. <laughs> yeah. So, 
So, you know, cancer is basically our normal cells that have gone rogue, right? So um, our, our, our body is basically an amazing collection of, of different subtypes, right? Organized into different organs, etc. cetera. Uh, and, you know, one of the interesting questions about biology is that how come some organs grow to a certain size and then they stop increasing in size, right? Yeah. And it's because these cells and organs are actually talking to each other, right? They're communicating to each other. Uh, but during cancer, uh, some of the cells stop listening. And so they basically start growing out of work, right? And then if they grow so much at their site where they started, and then they move to different sites, right? So, so some people have heard of the word metastasis, right? Cancer spreading. So let's say if a cancer starts in one region like the prostate, then it moves from the prostate, it can go to the bone, some of it can go into uh, lungs, brain, etc. right? So this is when we see that cancer is beginning to spread. And so if we see cancer as a normal cell that has gone rogue, and not listening to the body, the basic question is that what are the processes that have gone wrong, right? And so we as medicinal chemists, we look at these processes that are different in cancerous cells versus normal cells. And most of the time, they are signalings, right? There are proteins in the cells that they are what we call the workhorse of the cell, right? Some of these proteins uh, become different the right word is mutated, right? And we chemists, we have the ability to develop small molecules or large molecules, we call them drugs, that can go and bind to these proteins that have gone rogue. It's almost like put the brick on the proteins, right? So in the last few decades, there's been an amazing body of work done by so many different scientists that have shed light on the whole process of cancer formation. Right? So standing on the shoulders of these giants, we now really understand how, not fully, but we understand how some cancers actually initiate, how they progress. And so being a medicinal chemist, we looked at one of these processes, and then we designed drugs that bind to some of the proteins that drive the cancer. And we designed the drugs in a way that the drugs can be taken orally, right? So that when you take them, they can get into systemic they can get to the cancer and then basically stop the cancer from growing and ideally even instruct the cancer cells to kill themselves, right? So the right term to use is called apoptosis, right? If, you're, if your molecule can bind to the rogue protein and then instruct the cancer cells to kill itself, then you basically eliminate the cancer from the system. How, what's the amount of time that it takes to from recognizing a protein that you want to target to getting to a drug compound that you might be able to introduce to an animal, you know, for an animal trial. Yeah. How time? So it's an excellent question. Uh, it, it basically depends. So you are designing a drug to bind to a completely new protein that has just been discovered, right? Mm -hmm. Then it could take any time between five to 10 years in the drug, showing that a drug works in a test tube, right? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then after you've shown that it works in a test tube on cancer cells, you then move to an animal model, 
right? Mm -hmm. So they, they, they test you to the cancer cells could take any time between two to five years. Okay. You testing the drug on an animal model could take any time between two to three years. So now you are talking about eight years already. <laughs> and after you show that your drug actually works in an animal model, before you can get into humans, there are a series of experiments that you need to do. They are called toxicological experiments, right? Because by the time that you put your drug in an animal, you should test that if you give your drug to, let's say, another animal like mini pig or dog, does it affect like cardiac function, for example, right? Before you can go into clinical trials. And so that, that can also take between two to three years, right? So now you are talking about 11 years. And then you get all the right data where you show that A, your drug works in an animal model of the disease. B, your drug is not medically toxic, right? Mm -hmm. The animal models. It's an investigation on your drug. You show the FDA all your data to show that not only that's your molecule work, but your molecule is also generally safe. And then once you have that permission to start clinical trials, you start off with a phase one clinical trial that can take any way between one to two years. And then phase two clinical trials also take a few years and phase three clinical trials can also take a few years. So this, this, this is a very long journey. Sometimes it can take about 15 years or more from conception to when the drug is actually approved for human use. Wow. Oh, so you got to be really committed to going through all that to get that done, don't you? That's not Absolutely. just a side project. Absolutely. There has to be a commitment, yes. Wow. Do you, do you work with graduate students? Um, do you have like a team of students or um, other, do you collaborate with other professors or how, what does your team look like? Yeah, so my current lab consists of undergraduate students, graduate students, and then postdoctoral fellows. Um, okay. We also collaborate with um, different, different groups. We collaborate with biologists, we collaborate with clinicians, uh, we collaborate with um, toxicologists. So it's, uh, it's a big project. Not yeah. the lab and then encompassing the labs of my other collaborators. Yeah. And so all these people, are they all kind of working on this one drug, They're like time type of thing? Or do you have a, a number of projects going all at once? So um, when we first start the drug discovery process, we actually have several drug candidates, right? So the process is almost like a funnel. So initially we have several candidates and different students are working on different and then as we start getting evidences of efficacy in animals, right, we start to have hypotheses of which drug candidate is working. And so then we sort of start narrowing it down, right, and then until we get to the lead. And so even though we have one lead compound that we hope to take to clinical trials, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that that was the only drug that we were working on. And so are working on, on different aspects. Um, our first lead is, is efficacious against acute myeloid leukemia, but we also have programs. We are currently testing different molecules against like lung cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, etc. So different 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 team members are also working on our, our cancers. That makes sense that, that if you're looking at one, it just makes, to me, it makes sense that you would look at other 
you know, do different things, help other types of cancer as well. So that's interesting. What is the base for the delivery mechanism into the, to the cell itself? And so it, it's like, um, I know someone we interviewed not too long ago, they like strip away different viruses, part the, I don't understand all the chemistry behind it. I'm, I'm not in the chemistry department. Um, <laughs> that's there. And so, uh, it, what mechanism do you use to, to to deliver this medicine? Yeah. So you mean delivery to the to the cancer and not the normal yeah. cells? So um, that, that that is a really great question. There there are two types of cancer drugs, right? So one is you can design a drug that is, is selectively toxic to the cancer cell. Okay. So if your drug is selectively toxic to the cancer cell, that is your molecule is only targeting a pathway, something in the cancer that has gone wrong, okay? So if it's selectively toxic to the cancer cell, then there is no need for you to have selective delivery. You can give the molecule, it can go anywhere in the body, but because it's only toxic to the cancer cell, it's only when it's in the cancer cell that it will kill the cancer cell, right? If it gets into the normal cell, it doesn't. So that's one type of drug, right? These are the, the, the sort of what we call the precision medicine, the highly selective ones. And then the second type are the molecules that are generally toxic to everything, right? So they kill the cancer cells, they also kill the normal cells. So for those types of molecules, you actually want to to select, selectively deliver to the cancer cells, right? Because if you don't selectively deliver to the cancer cells, they will just kill everything, right? So the, the first and the second generation chemotherapies, uh, they usually uh, destroy DNA, which all cells have, right? And so for those types of drugs, um, you needed to do selectivity. And there are different ways to, to, to target a drug to the cancer. So some cancer cells, uh, because they are different, they express different proteins on their surface from normal cells, right? So you can basically have your drug and then, and then add something else to the drug. It's almost like the Trojan horse approach, right? That drug then binds to whatever is decorated on the cancer and it goes into the cancer, right? Okay. Um, our drug is a precision medicine. What we mean is that it is actually targeting something that is unique and upregulated in my logic. So therefore, uh, for us, because it's selective, there is no need to add that drug to another cargo, right? That would sort of take you take you to to the cancer cell. Does it? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Well. So I want to know how did you get interested? How did you how did you get to this point? What what inspired you early on to to think? Gosh, I want to design a drug that might cure cancer. Yeah. So I, I, everything is I would say that combinations of your interests, but also uh, experiences and what life life basically gives you. So um, I did my bachelor's in chemistry and also I did uh, I did a joint chemistry pharmacology in the UK and was called medicinal chemistry. And so at that stage, uh, my undergraduate training was about drug design. So I, I had interest in drug design from a very, very early stage. I've always been fascinated by chemistry and how you can actually use chemistry to solve real world problems, right? Um, and so when I started my career, I was interested in understanding, you know, uh, signaling, how sending signaling, or how how the cell works, 
right? The small molecules that are actually involved in cell communication. We actually originally started off looking at antibacterial agents. Oh. But over the years, um, certain events have happened in my life. Uh, my uh, to me, some have succumbed to cancer, and so cancer has always been uh, has always been dear to me. And and so whenever we make molecules, testing against signaling, we are always looking for molecules that will selectively kill either bacteria or cancer, but not normal cells. So that's that's how, that's how the, the, the interest 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 started. Very neat. Um, did you, as an, did you have opportunities to help with research as an undergraduate student, or how how did you get into the? What what opportunities were available to you as a, as an undergrad, I guess, to get into, or or even in high school? Did you think about research even as a high school student? As a high school student, I always I, I love science, so I knew I would I would end up doing. You know something in science. It wasn't very clear at the high school whether I would become a chemist or a mathematician or a physicist. Um, but but then when I got to university, so I did my bachelor's at University College London, um, and I was on the medicinal chemistry program. So uh, during one of the summers, I actually took an internship uh, at a company uh, called Smith Klein Teacher. It's now it's now called Glasgow Glasgow Smith Klein. So, oh, yeah. so I did a summer internship there, um, and you know, being in that environment, right, seeing top-notch world-class scientists, medicinal chemists developing drugs, uh, sort of increased my appetite to go into into drug discovery. Um, I also did a little bit of research uh, in the chemistry department at University College London. Um, so my my final year project was was a research project. Uh, so I, you know, those events and those experiences uh, almost opened my eyes to the process of, of developing small molecules, tackling some of some of the uh, uh, biggest challenges in medicine. And so when I formed my own group, um, I also wanted to use a skill that I have learned to tackle some of these problems. Nice. I like that. What if you? What advice would you have for um, high school students now that maybe they're they're listening, they're interested in science, and they think, "Wow, yeah." It's, so designing, a, you know, looking at, at a drug discovery or something sounds pretty interesting. What what advice do you have for students to try? You know, to what what can they do? Yeah. So you know, my first advice is always follow your passion. I remember when I was in high school, um, you know, a few people said to me, oh, you, you are doing so well. Why don't you plan to go to medical school? Oh. And, and it, I mean, it's, it's great to be a doctor and save people, uh, but I have always liked fundamental science. And so the first thing is to listen to yourself, right, and follow your passion. I also love chemistry. And so choosing medicinal chemistry was choosing my passion, right? And once you choose your passion, you're going to excel at it, right? Um, because I love doing chemistry and I chose, I chose that path, I could basically put in all my energy. I think that that, that usually, usually pulls off. So, you know, if I was to give one single advice, I would say always follow your passion. 
Well, thank you. I like that. I, yeah. well, I got a question, and it, if I need to edit it out and not include it, I can, um, because it's, it's it's probably not. I mean, it's not related to what you do, but I'm just kind of curious that if it takes, like, I mean, 15 years to develop um, medicines for different things, and then uh, on something recent like the the COVID, um, the COVID-19. I, I hear on the news and stuff, they say, oh, well, they expect a vaccine for that next year. How can they make a vaccine in a year if it takes so long to do? I mean, are, do they skip the safety side of it or are they base it? I, I don't I don't understand for sure how that happens. Well, so they, I mean, firstly, the timeline also depends, right? So I gave you a timeline where you have one group working on a problem, right? But if you have a problem that so many different people are working on, then sometimes that shortens the discovery phase, right? So something like COVID, you have so many different groups are looking at so many different aspects of COVID. And so what that means is that um, maybe taking eight years to find a molecule that is efficacious, it is possible that it could only take a year, right? It's just because you have so many, so many groups that are working on it. The second, the second aspect is that there are that are so important looking at they're just a sheer scale, right? So in in clinical trials and in medicine, you always have to look at what we call the risk benefit. Um, and so it is also possible to have accelerated clinical trials, right? Uh, uh, so I, I am not a vaccine expert, and so what I don't know is that I don't, I'm not really familiar about the time, the time scales of developing vaccines. Uh, but, but what what I expect is that if so many groups are working on a single problem, and there is a lot of funding, right? Funding. Funding that, then the time gets shortened. As to how it's possible to come up with something within a year, I I don't know because I don't I don't work on vaccines. So, yeah. Well, that made me think of a question too. Like you say, if that kind of makes sense, you would have a lot of different groups that are interested, and so they're all looking at different aspects. How do how how does that many groups? How are they coordinated? Because they might all find different things, but then. What, how are those groups speaking to each other or coordinating their efforts with each other? Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's, that is a great question, right? In a sense that they, the current model for developing, you have, you know, separate entities are working on their separate projects. Some are trying to, you know, even have intellectual properties, right? Uh, they could yeah. Become, they could be competition. Uh, but I think with COVID, the model might be changing. So I have read of stories where different groups are collaborating. And what, what I mean by collaborating is that even if they are not directly collaborating, they are sharing, they are sharing data and results before they publish, right? Um, so so that, that could be one way where, um, you know, scientists share their data then you know what someone else is working on so that you don't duplicate efforts, right? Um, another way is that um, some of the COVID research are now being published in an accelerated form. So some people even put their publication on preprints, right? So usually when you find something, 
uh, you have to go through the peer review and the peer review can take some time, but there are footprints where you just put your data out there. It's not being peer reviewed, but you say, this is what I have. It's going to go through the peer review system, but then the, the whole scientific community can then go and read, right? So I think that is, that in its way is also aiding the sharing of, of, of information. But it would really be nice if, if there was uh, a lot of collaboration going on so that efforts are not duplicated, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Do you think in the future there'll be more collaboration and more data posting with for different things? And so it's like you would know for like the leukemia, you're researching who in the world is studying what and what they're trying. Do you think that'll be accelerated in the future? That, yeah, I hope, right? The reason why I use the word I hope is that um, for collaboration to be increased, maybe the financial model for developing drugs might have to change, right? Um, it costs several millions of dollars to develop a drug, right? I talked about it 15, 15 years. Um, yeah. So during that 15 years, you can imagine that if a group or a company is developing a drug, they need to hire scientists, they need to pay the scientists, right? This investment is coming from individuals who have the option of putting an investment in a drug discovery program. It's extremely risky. Not only few drugs actually make it to the end, right? Now, these individuals have the option of putting their money in the real estate, right? Or, or some other avenue that have a lower risk. And so um, if we are expecting a private entity to continue funding drug discovery, then there should also be an avenue for them to make a profit, right? Um, if you want to make profit, then sometimes you want to protect your intellectual property. Um, so so we, we have to really think very carefully about, about how drug discovery is, is funded, right? And so it brings up the question, so should there be more public-private partnership, um, right? Should we have more foundations that, that try to tackle these big problems, right? And so yeah. it's... Uh, it's the big issue that I think that the different wheels would have to be solved by collaborations to also to also fall into, into the right Kern, I this is so fascinating. I really appreciate all that you've you know shared with us today. That is just that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing what you're doing. It's wow. Yeah. Okay. All right, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Thank much. you so much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please hit the subscribe button so you'll continue to hear about new and exciting STEM-related work being done. Tweet us questions, suggestions, and requests at Purdue SOS or email us at k12science at purdue.edu. Until next time, be super, and remember, you are someone's hero. Boiler up! Hammer down!